So just the younger ones, if they want to head out to the foyer. And uh, I know that some of you have been waiting patiently for this day to arrive. It's Christmas. If you uh, haven't been with us, our series over the last several weeks, I've used different gifts to illustrate how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And everyone who has put their Connect card in over the last several weeks gets to be in a drawing today to draw names to give away these prizes. And the bag is the Dove Chocolates, then we have the Drill, and then we have the Keurig. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to give them away in reverse order that we revealed them, meaning we're going to give away the chocolates first, the drill second, and the Keurig last. Now, every family may only win one prize, but your name is in this thing up to four times. So as we draw today, when you are drawn the second time, or if, you can choose to keep the gift you've already received or to give it back and take the new one that you've been drawn for. Make sense? And then we'll draw for that new person. And I was like, Lord, I need someone whose name is not in the bag to do the drawing because that's the only fair way. And Lacey is here today. So come on, Lacey. She's going to, Lacey's going to give away prizes today. This is so great. So for the Dove Chocolates, let's draw a name out of here. Karen Carey. Karen Carey. You win some Dove Chocolates. Yes. You can grab them now, or you can grab it after service, whichever you prefer, and, uh, and you might win something else. Who knows? So the drill goes to, everybody's been waiting. This is so great. Dale and Mercedes Hansen. Yeah. And now the Keurig. Oh, she dropped you. Travis and Sam Whiff. All right, thank you very much. I'll put these tags on the presents so we don't forget who got them and someone doesn't walk away with the wrong prize. But hopefully that didn't ruin Christmas if you didn't get what you wanted. And In fact, today we're going to talk about the search for the perfect Christmas. I don't know what your perfect Christmas is, but if you have a Bible, go to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to get to Romans chapter 5 in a moment, but I don't know when you think about Christmas what comes to your mind or what you think about um, when you think about Christmas. In fact, just recently, the superintendent, we were in Sioux Falls, and he said to me, well, man, this must just be your time of year. You must just light up at this time of year, and I said, well, actually, it feels kind of like every other day to me. You know, Christmas Day to me is not like more fantastic than any other day because I actually kind of treat every day kind of like Christmas, and I love Christmas so much, so it's not like that one day is special. But if I think of the perfect Christmas, it's got to be in New York City. I mean, come on. There's no better place on earth to be than in New York City at Christmas. And for some of you, maybe going to the Black Hills and being in a snowbound cabin, you know, with a fire or on the deck with a, a whirlpool, and that would be your perfect Christmas. Or maybe your perfect Christmas would be a beach, you know, with no snow anywhere and no snow in the forecast. Or maybe your perfect Christmas is right where you are at your home with your children surrounding you. Or maybe your idea of a perfect Christmas would be in heaven where all of us would be around the throne. And so I don't know what you think of, but I know the world markets this idea of perfect Christmas because they want you to buy stuff to make your life better or to make you have the perfect whatever, or they sell us Christmas movies. How many of you love the Christmas Hallmark movies? And they're so wonderful because in two hours, every problem in their lives gets solved and someone is bound to kiss and fall in love, and they hated each other at the beginning. And that, I mean, it's like Hallmark does this all the time. And, this, and they create in us this idea that there's this perfect Christmas out there somewhere. And the problem is, many times our real life isn't like that, and so we keep searching, hoping to find the perfect Christmas. Well, I have a video that I want to show you about the search for a perfect Christmas. Jingle bells, jingle bells, ho, 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 ho. Guess what they've got down at Murray's Trees, Trees, Trees? I'd have to go with trees. <laughs> yeah, but not just any trees. These are 12-foot noble firs for only $8. 
Eight dollars? Well, previously owned. Oh. <laughs> Jason, we are not going to have a big tree this year because you know how you get when you decorate it. Jolly. Ho, ho, homicidal. You have to have everything your way. So this year, we're going to try something new. <laughs> Maggie, that's not a tree. That's parsley. <laughs> How's it look now? Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ben, come on, it's still crooked. That's at least two degrees off. <laughs> Pretty straight to me. Pretty straight doesn't feed the reindeer, pal. Uh, so how's it going, guys? Hey, great, we're just full of Christmas spirit. Oh, Jason, are you starting it again? Yeah, why do you always take this so seriously? Yeah, Christmas is supposed to be fun. Luke, fun doesn't just happen. Fun is a matter of exacting preparation. Oh, no. Hey, Christmas is the one time of year you want everything to be right. Because I know when those stockings are hung at a 42-degree angle and that wreath is centered precisely on the door, it's going to fill us all with yuletide joy. <laughs> Besides, a sloppy Christmas is nothing more than Groundhog, Groundhog Day, Day with, with tinsel. tinsel. <laughs> Daddy, loosen up. I'm loose, sweetheart. I just have a crooked tree. There's something out of whack here. I must have a screw loose. All right, I have my square. I get my plumb line. I get my spirit level. I could use a little help getting the tree straight. I have to go scout the toilets. I've got an extra credit science report. I gotta scrape the ice off the driveway. <laughs> I gotta eat some spinach. <laughs> okay, then. That's all the more fun for me. <laughs> hey, Mike. Oh, you look like you're ready to go bag some trees. Kate's flight get off okay? Yeah, 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 it was fine, Dad. You all right? Something on your mind? Uh, well, actually, I... Hey, no ornaments last! Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I gotta get a broom. Just uh, look, but don't touch. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, you're standing perpendicularly. <laughs> One or two degrees, the most upright of Christmas trees. Oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, will show them I'm not crazy. All right, time to decorate the tree, everybody. I guess I'm the only one with the Christmas spirit. Don't eat. Don't Everybody eat. laughing, making decorations. Now, this is how I always imagined Christmas would be. Ta-da! Oh, Christmas this is really great. Nice. Nice. Oh, great. Let's put it on the tree. Good job. Ooh. Gorgeous. That's a perfect tree. Come on. Shh. Don't, don't wake the elves. Okay. <laughs> Whoops. No, no, you can't. No, nobody look. I want it to be a surprise. All right. Everybody ready? Open sesame. <laughs> so what's the matter? You didn't finish. He's probably waiting for the blueprints to get back from the North Pole. <laughs> no, I'm done. I just thought the rest of you might want to finish it off without me. You mean we can decorate your tree any way we want? Yes, Luke. It's not my tree. It's our tree. I know this is hard to believe, but sometimes I just get carried away. Oh, shit. <laughs> so can we throw tinsel on in big handfuls? If you wish. <laughs> and put the candy canes in any crazy place we want. If the spirit moves you. <laughs> and uh, put the heavy ornaments on top. No, no, no. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, all right. Yeah, but I can't. Come on, everybody. Now maybe that's a, a stretch for the search of a perfect Christmas, but. Uh, the problem isn't that we just look for the perfect Christmas. We look for the perfect everything. And part of the, the thing is, is we miss what God is doing because everything in our life isn't lining up the way we expect it to. And some of us don't take the step that the Holy Spirit's asking us to take or don't respond in obedience because it doesn't look 
like we thought it would look, or because the circumstances of our lives aren't as perfect as we need them to be before we step out. I mean, if the worship team plays a lot of wrong notes, it, it quenches the spirit. If, you know, if someone laughs when someone's giving a word, it quenches the spirit. Or, you know, I, maybe my character isn't right. Or maybe, you know, something needs to change. If I had a different spouse, if I had a different job, if I had a different this or that, or if something was different in my life, then I'd have the perfect Christmas. And see, the perfect Christmas, the perfect life, is an illusion. The Scripture tells us to be joyful in every circumstance. Never stop praying. Be thankful in every circumstance also, for this is God's will for you. And see, some of it, well, who's, what's God's will for me where I go to school or what God's will for me, what job I have or what God's will for me? And we miss the most important thing. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Give thanks in every circumstance. And for some of us, the perfect life eludes us because we don't learn the secret of these three things. And now, I know everyone's life in this room is in different places. And maybe the idea of Christmas is sad to you because you're, you're without family. You're not near your family. Or maybe your family has passed on. And there's nothing that says that we can't feel sorrow or pain in this life. That we can't be with those that we want to be with at a certain time of year. But we cannot allow ourselves to be filled with excessive sorrow to the point that my life has to change or I won't be able to be who God wants me to be. Or be effective for Him. See, the Word would never tell us to always be joyful or be thankful in every circumstance if it wasn't possible. And if God lives in us, it's possible. And there's reasons to be thankful. We don't have to try to make them up. We just need to find them and start being thankful for them. And when we do that, that choice, it begins to grow in our lives and we become mature and we become complete. But for us in this room that something outward has to change before we can be joyful or before we can give thanks, it's an illusion. It's an illusion. Because when that thing changes, there'll be something else that takes its place. That's why people who get divorced once, statistically, get divorced again and again and again. That's why people who change jobs and change jobs and change jobs keep looking for the perfect job. And everywhere they go, they realize that there are people who make their life miserable. But what they don't realize is, if you start controlling the internal you through the power of the Holy Spirit, people will make you less miserable. See, you can live in a room all by yourself or you can lock yourself in your home and think that the fruit of the Spirit is very evident in your life because you don't spend any time with people. But the fruit of the Spirit isn't really evident in your life until you spend time not just with people, but with your enemies. What good is it if you love those who love you? Even sinners do that. But if you want to demonstrate the love of God, love those who are your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And then you'll be acting like your Father in heaven. See, Jesus exposed this when he was talking to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 16. And he was telling the story of the rich man who went to hell and Lazarus who did not. And the rich man in hell was suffering and wanted someone from the dead to go back and talk to his family. And Jesus says, if someone is sent to them from the dead, or the rich man, excuse me, then they'll repent of their sins and turn to God. But Jesus pulls the mask off of that and says, no, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now, sure, it may affect them on the short term, but the long term, if you're not going to believe, and so it is true that That seeing isn't believing, but believing is seeing. Seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing. Mark Batterson says it this way, eventually our reality will conform to our theology or our theology will conform to our reality. What you believe will be what you live out. Not what you claim to believe, but what you believe is what comes out of your mouth and what comes out of your actions. And so if what's coming out of your mouth and what's coming out of your actions isn't what you claim to believe, there's something wrong with your theology somewhere. That's why Jesus came to earth. In Romans chapter 5, if you're there, Romans chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1, 
And we're going to read what Paul writing to the Romans as he gives this entire book, this discourse of you know, God and Abraham and the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old and New. In the middle of this, he says this. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice also when we run into problems and trials, for we know they help us develop endurance. Endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. A few years ago, Christy and I were privileged to go to Israel, and a friend of mine who had already been there knew how much I love Christmas, and he warned me in going that Christmas, in his words, would be ruined for me. Because when you see the geography and you learn the culture and you come to an understanding, you realize that what we have forever labeled the Christmas story isn't actually biblically accurate. You know, we do things that, and there are quizzes now that we joke, well, how many wise men were there? Oh, well, of course, three wise men. No, there were three gifts, but we don't know how many wise men. And we, we've learned things, and so as we've learned the culture, and as Israel has become a nation, and some people say, well, why does the Bible keep changing? Why do they keep changing words? They keep changing words, and it never changes the foundational message of the Scripture. But a lot of times what changes is the, what I want to refer to today as the magical aspect of the Scripture. In other words, we have a tendency, like as we've talked about with the book of Acts, to read the book of Acts and kind of put it on a pedestal that it was this magical, wonderful, absolutely crazy moment, unlike our lives and not at all. I mean, Acts is up here and our lives are down here, but if we really look at it and understand the context and the timeline and the culture, it's actually more like this. And with the birth of Jesus, I don't think Christmas got ruined when I went to Israel. I think it got corrected, and that was good because it made it more realistic. It wasn't maybe as magical as I had made it out to be. I don't want to make it sound like Christmas is not a wonderful story. I mean, I don't understand how the the idea that God become became flesh and came to the earth is not an amazing story. But what I want us to do is just for a moment, I want us to think of the Christmas story with Joseph and Mary. And what I want you to understand is Joseph and Mary come on the scene in a time when there was 400 years of silence from God. 400 years. No prophets, no words from the Lord, No, the Holy Spirit ministered to me. Now, maybe one person remotely had a vision or a dream. We know Zechariah did. We know Mary did. We know Joseph did. But there's no widespread revelation of God. So the idea that we live with, that we have the entire Scripture, we know from beginning to end God's plan of revelation. We have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. He prompts us. Now, some days we don't feel like that. But we get the sense that he's there. And when we tap into his presence, we, we, we get that realization. Nothing. 400 years of nothing. And so Mary has a dream that she's going to be with child but not be with a man. That it's going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit and they're going to give him the name Jesus. And Joseph looks at his 
engaged wife who's with child and thinks, uh, there's only one way that could have happened. And so he's going to divorce her quietly so that she doesn't get stoned, so that nothing bad happens to her as a result of his action. And so he's going to put her away. And when he does, he gets a dream that says, what's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. One dream. How many times in nine months did he question whether that dream was true? And we, we look at it as if, you know, he's he, some superhuman guy. No, I bet a lot of days he woke up and saw this pregnant lady who was maybe, you know, I mean, she was with child. Pregnant ladies, plug your ears. But pregnant ladies are uncomfortable. And sometimes they're not very nice. I mean, they're nice to people that they don't know well, but they're not very nice to those close to them because they're uncomfortable. And Mary has to experience that uncomfort. And so how many times in nine months is Joseph like, did I really see an angel? Was that really the dream that I had? How many times did he have to question whether this was accurate? Now, we believe that Joseph had family in Bethlehem. We know that Joseph went there, that he stayed with them, and they, we know that they didn't have enough room in the home where they were for Mary to have this baby. Jesus wasn't born in a stable or a barn. The, the, the houses would contain animals. They would live in there. But she was still, Mary takes this baby and with nowhere to put him, places him in a feeding trough. I mean, I've, I've Googled, I've searched, I've read everything I can. Was any baby ever placed in a feeding trough before this moment? I don't know. But what I do know is no other baby on the night Jesus was born was placed in a manger because that's the one sign that God gave to the shepherds when he showed up and he sang, or the angel spoke to the shepherds and said, here's the sign. You're going to find the baby wrapped in strips of cloth and it's going to be lying in a manger, in a feeding trough. That's the sign. Now, Joseph and Mary didn't see an angel the night that Jesus was born. All that Joseph and Mary got to see was after birth. <laughs> I know, it's terrible. But we, I mean, you've got to understand, a birth is a messy thing and it's a painful thing. And it wasn't like God took the pain away so Mary didn't have to experience it. She had to experience the pain of giving birth. And not only that, she, for the rest of her life, had to face the stigma of people whispering, you know, born of, a, born of God, mm-hmm, there's Mary, that followed them forever. Joseph and Mary, the illegitimate child, all of their lives people whispered. Don't forget that. This wasn't easy for them. This was a difficult choice, a difficult moment, and something that carried on for the rest of their lives. There was no bright star that instantly appeared right over the house where Jesus was. Okay? That didn't happen on that night. It was just a normal night to them until they got a knock at the door from a group of shepherds. Now, I hesitate to use shepherds. Who would shepherds be in our modern language? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, Maybe like a homeless person. I mean, shepherds are the bottom of the barrel. They're the least of the least. And I don't want to pick any job out there because it might be your job. And I don't, but here's the thing. You think of it. What's the worst job you could possibly have on this earth? And that job is who came that night. Not well-respected people. They were shepherds. Saying that, you know, they saw some angels and the angels said that they'd find the baby and the baby would be there. Are they going to believe that? I mean, the shepherds were watching the sheep. Mm-hmm. What else was in that bottle? I mean, think of it. How, they don't have to believe it. They could say, well, you know, I don't really know if I believe shepherds. I mean, they're not the most trustworthy folk. They could have been drinking out there by the fire. I mean, shepherds, really? That's the sign? And the sign that they got was the sign that they would find the baby lying in a manger. Was it the first house they knocked at? Or how many houses did they knock at and how many people did they freak out because they're looking for a baby in a manger? Shepherds. Okay? Big guys, tattoos, not bathing a lot. You know, just the whole works. I mean, scary guys knocking on the door. We want to see a baby. And so they could have rejected that idea. But what I love is what the Scripture says that Mary did. When they saw him, the shepherds, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. Because no one else saw an angel that night except these shepherds. 
They were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. See, I'm going to tell you that you and I in this room have way more truth, revelation, presence, power than Mary and Joseph ever had. Probably like ten times as much or more. And yet Mary just took what she had and she treasured it in her heart and she pondered it over and over and she meditated on it. And that's what you and I need to do with what we have received. But sometimes we receive this message or this dream or this vision or we read something in the Bible and it doesn't work out that maybe the way we thought it should work out and we don't understand what, what's going on and so we don't know what to do with it. And the scripture says, just like Mary, we should treasure these things in our hearts and continue to rehearse them over and over in our minds. And then, you know, they happen to, according to the law, take Jesus to the temple and they meet this guy named Simeon. Some old, you know, crazy guy at the temple takes their baby and just, you know, prophesies over Jesus. I mean, they could either accept that or reject that. There was, it wasn't like he shone. There wasn't like a glory cloud around him. He was just a normal guy at the temple prophesying over Jesus. And the worst part is, he tells Mary that a sword is going to pierce her soul because of this baby. Wasn't well, that a great word for the Lord to get at Christmas time? Because you said yes to the Lord, a, a sword is going to pierce your soul. Now, I don't know, but they tell me that the worst pain that you can experience is the loss of a child. And this is Mary's child. It wasn't just her Savior. It wasn't just God. It was a child to her. And so imagine as she's seeing this, the sword that's piercing her soul. Because she said yes. And then Anna comes along. Here's what Simeon says. And she's old and crazy too. And she just starts, yeah, praising the Lord. That's, you've got to understand, this is probably what it feels like to them. It's not magical. They just had to choose whether or not that's the word of the Lord. And some of us have way more information at our hands than those people ever had, but we won't receive it. We won't treasure it in our hearts. We won't ponder it in our hearts. And then Mary and Joseph get this big break. Some astrologers of a foreign religion show up at their house when Jesus is about two years old and they give him gifts. Enough gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's like, yes, we said yes in God. Prosperity Gospel 101. Yeah. <laughs> Only that night, Joseph gets a dream that, that Herod's going to try to kill Jesus. You need to go to, to Egypt. Anybody know what it would be like to pick up in the middle of the night and move to a foreign country? I mean, don't skip over that verse. They stayed there for a few years. Thank goodness they had gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to use, to eat, to find a place to stay, to provide for everything that they needed for that time. But how hard is it to live in a foreign country? You don't speak the language. You don't know the culture. You don't, day after day after day after day. It wasn't like this was just easy. It wasn't like just God did everything for them. They still had to walk in obedience to God. In fact, I believe Mary and Joseph were chosen because of their obedience because they could be trusted to care for the Son of God. Because God knew how Jesus was going to be raised. And so that's why these two were chosen. Because of the character that they had before they were chosen. Now some of it maybe hadn't been displayed in their lives. But God knew it was in their hearts. So I don't want to take away from the magic. And I hope I didn't ruin your Christmas today. But from the magic of Christmas. And so in case I did, let's read these again. When we were utterly helpless, Christ, the Son of God, came at just the right time and He died for our sinners. And our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies. And we will certainly be saved now through the life of His Son. So we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. If you have absolutely nothing else to rejoice for this Christmas, you can rejoice that you have a relationship with God, unlike anyone that's written about in this book. I mean, John the Baptist was the greatest prophet who ever lived, but if you're the least in the kingdom of God, you're greater than him. Meaning you have so much more available. Not one person in this book, other than Jesus, had the Spirit of God living inside of them until the apostles on the day of Pentecost. 
up until that time. Nothing. And we look at the Old Testament miracles and think how wonderful that would be. We rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, but instead he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. God became a slave, a human, all for the purpose of dying a criminal's death on a cross for us to be restored with him. For some of us, we've heard it so long, it's boring to us. It's lost its luster. It's lost its magic. But the very fact that God stepped out of heaven and willingly came to this earth when you and I were helpless, worthless to everyone else, God saw something and he came to redeem us, to bring us back into relationship with God. And so for some of you, you maybe just need to read these passages and get your joy to be restored over the fact that you now have access to the very throne of God that most people who have ever lived throughout history never had. He's with you and he's in you. We rejoice in this relationship with God. But that passage also says... We can rejoice also when we run into problems and trials. See, trouble is inevitable, but I believe biblically it's also beneficial. Inevitable means it's going to happen. Beneficial means it could be productive for you. Now, I want you to understand, at the end of this passage, we know how dearly God loves us, not because we don't have any problems. That's not how we know. We know how much He loves us because He's given His Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. In fact, He tells us that we're going to have problems. And we can rejoice about it because they're going to, it's going to develop endurance and strength of character and a confident hope of salvation. When Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, he says, I pray that from God's glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Holy Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And your roots will grow down into what? God's love. And it will keep you strong. What keeps you strong? God's love. That you would have power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His power is. Oh no, that's not what it says. How wide and long and high and deep His love is. That you would experience the power of Christ. No, that you would experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. And then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I mean, yes, we want to be made complete with all of the fullness of life and power that comes from God. But the way to do it is to put down roots into His love. His love. What's that mean? That means when I go through a problem, I don't know why this problem happened. But what I do know is God is love and God is good. I don't know why my prayer didn't get answered, but what I do know is God is love and God is good. My response to everything that happens wrong in my life is, I don't understand, I don't know, but what I know and what I keep saying over and over is God is love and God is good. And when we put roots into that, it gives us access to life and power. That's what the scripture's saying. In James, James says it this way, Brothers and sisters, when troubles of different kinds come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, because you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Let it grow. I mean, you can choose to either let it grow or let it stay the same or actually shrink. When your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So you and I, we run into problems. And sometimes when we run into them, we think, man, I, maybe I didn't have that dream. Maybe I didn't have that word. I mean, maybe the scripture doesn't mean that. Maybe what someone prophesied over me isn't true. Maybe, you know, that book I read that, you know, I know it was based on the Bible, but maybe it's not true. 
And we're shocked when we run into problems. But here's the thing. Every word of the Lord that comes into our lives is going to be tested. Every word. Mark chapter 4. Jesus talks about the parable of the the soil. Remember, we've talked about this one. Others, like seed sown on the rocky places, hear the word at once and receive it with joy. But because they have no root. No root in what? No root in God's love. God is good. God is love. And if you don't put down deep roots into that, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, when it comes. See, whenever you read the Bible, whenever you put faith in Christ, whenever you take a word from God, not just a prophetic word or a dream, but a written word, whenever you put the word of God in your life, it attracts trouble. And why does God allow it? Because the word has to be tested. It has to be proved in us. Because if there's no choice, there can be no no character development. I mean, if God gives me a word and then he makes every detail of my life just work out perfectly, I become a spoiled child. Not a mature one, not a complete one. I've got to take what he's given to me and actually put it into practice in the face of adversity so that I understand the truth of that word and it puts deep roots into my life so that more fruit comes. Unfortunately, we expect that when the word comes that everything in our lives is going to be tied up in a bow and there's not going to be any disagreements and there's not going to be any breakdowns and there's not going to be any problems. There's not going to be any delays. And, you know, I'm, I'm called into ministry and so I'm going, to, I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to, you know, be on the worship team and I'm going to lead worship this week and when I wake up, I'm going to hear angels singing and I'm going to come to the service and, you know, and, well, Pastor, I can't lead today because I woke up and I, I, I don't feel good and I, or I woke up and I, I mean, everything's not tied in a nice bow. So I can't do it. I can't step out. I mean, what if I only preached on the days that I woke up and everything was tied up in a pretty bow? And the days that the word, I mean, if the worship team made a mistake, if I just got up and said, well, I can't really preach today because I don't feel like the service has a bow on it. But that's how some of us, I can't take this step of faith until this gets worked out in my life or that gets worked out in my life. And uh, please don't misunderstand me. There are seasons of our life where we have to take a step back and maybe regroup and maybe we've put our trust. And if we have to take a step back and regroup, it's probably because we put too much trust in numero uno and not in him. But you don't have to jump ship and isolate yourself from every human being on the planet in order to get everything right. You just have to start trusting the word and start releasing the word. And when you start doing it, it's not like all of a sudden everything in your life is going to just fall into line. I mean, everyone's just going to line up. You come to the front today and you get prayed for and you go to work next week after Christmas and everyone's going to be like Ebenezer Scrooge after he got visited by the spirits. No, it's not what's going to happen. They're going to be like Ebenezer Scrooge before he got visited by the spirits. And then you think, well, what Pastor Tom said wasn't even true or that word or that prayer. You know, I should have had someone else pray for me. I don't know why I went to that person. And that's how we live our lives. But yet, if he's in us, if he's really in us, then we can do it even in the messy mundaneness of life. And here's the thing. I believe that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. I believe it. And I believe when it takes everything within me to just say, God, I'm just going to do, this is so terrible. The ducks are not in a row and everything is just bad, but I'm going to take the step of faith that you told me to take. And I believe in that moment, when we put trust in God more than in our own abilities, God shows up in greater ways. Paul had a thorn in the flesh to constantly remind him that God's grace is sufficient in his weakness. He pleaded with God to take it away. We don't, I mean, scholars argue, what, what was the thorn in the flesh? And nobody even knows. They just know it was something that kept him trusting in the grace of God and not his own ability. And some of us think our ability is what's going to draw people to salvation. No, it's the grace of God through your weakness that's going to draw people to salvation. I've seen it in my life, and I believe it's going to be in your lives too if we just trust him. Jesus himself faced every test just like us. That's what the scripture says. He came to the earth 
And he was baptized. John didn't want to baptize him. Remember, he's like, I, I don't think this is a good idea. You should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, let's do this because we have to fulfill what is right. He baptizes him. And the heaven opens up and God speaks. Remember what God says? This is my beloved son and with him I am well pleased. What in the world's he pleased about? Jesus hasn't done anything yet other than, you know, being born, wrapping himself in flesh and the son of God being obedient to his mom and dad for all of those years. I mean, you know what it's like, don't you? I mean, think back to what it's like as a teenager when your parents ask you to do something and you're like, who do they think they are? Imagine being the creator. (laughs) I made you. (laughs) I mean, because we as parents, that's what we say to our kids. We're like, I brought you into this world. I know more than you. But what if you're the son of God? At what point during those adolescent years did Jesus have the thought, yeah, right. If he's tempted in every way like you and I are, you don't think he wrestled with that? But then the Bible says after, G- after God speaks and says, you're my son and I'm well pleased with you, he gets led by the Spirit into the wilderness. How many of you today want to be led by the Spirit? Yeah, into the wilderness? But here's the promise of God. God doesn't ever lead us into random wildernesses just for his fun. Anytime God leads you into a wilderness, there's a promised land on the other side that he wants you to go to. Okay? And the character and strength that you need when you get there is going to be one in the wilderness. And Jesus goes into the wilderness after being full of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. And he's tempted by the enemy. And what does the enemy say to him? If you are the Son of God. What's the last thing he heard from his father? You're my beloved son. What's the first thing the enemy questions? If you're the Son of God. So when you get a word from God, whether you're just reading your Bible at home, or you're in a sermon, or you're reading a book, or someone prophesies, or you have a dream, what do you think the enemy is going to do first? Get you to question the word of the Lord. But if you treasure these things in your heart and you just keep over and over, I mean, you don't have to say, well, I'm where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, so I am not bound, I am free. No, there is freedom. And if I have chains on, I don't have to say, I don't have these chains on. Yes, I do, but there's freedom. And so I'm going to break these chains through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to walk in the freedom that I have through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to do it every single day. And if I wake up and there's chains on my, my thought life or my mind or my emotions, I'm just going to keep, keep, keep treasuring the Word of the Lord in my heart. And I'm going to put it into practice. And in the face of all adversity, I'm going to use His Word. And that's what Jesus did. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to be bread. But man does not live on bread alone. But every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What do we live on? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Treasuring His word in our hearts. So the temptation to come to to not believe the word, how are we going to respond to it? I have one last scripture for you, and then I'm going to let you go. There's hope, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Are you with me? Romans chapter 8. This has always been one of my favorite uh, chapters in the Bible, one of them. But here's, here's Romans chapter 8. What shall we say about things such as, wonderful things such as these? Basically, what we've talked about. Jesus coming, God opening up heavens. There's no condemnation. Uh, everything through Jesus. It's amazing. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours. Through Christ, who loved us. That means it's in us. It means He's given us everything we need. It's just a matter of actually applying it in the moment. See, some of us, we go shopping at this time of year, 
And then the incompetent person in the store who doesn't do things the exact way we've expected them to be done. And then we go home and we tell all the world about it on Facebook about this incompetent person who has done something or this other person who has mistreated us or this other thing. And then we wonder why our life, you know, the problem is the incompetent people. The problem is my spouse. The problem is my job. The problem is, the problem is, the problem is, the problem is. No, the problem is I forgot to treasure the words of God in my heart. And he's for me, not against me. And so any trouble or calamity that I face doesn't mean he doesn't love me. In fact, it means he loves me enough that he wants some character to be forged in my life. So I'm not going to mistreat the person who mistreats me. I'm going to overcome evil with good because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, uh, I want to give this person some of what they gave me, but that's not the love of God. So I need you to come out when I open my mouth just now. Wouldn't that be an interesting prayer to pray? No, don't pray that out loud, okay? <laughs> Just pray that in your head. <laughs> and then let the Holy Spirit come out of us. Treasure God's Word in your heart. Fight, stand firm, trust Him. Put the weapons that He's given us into practice. Take the right action. Don't get your eyes off of Him. The story of Hannah in the Old Testament, she didn't have a child, remember? And she kept crying out to God, give me a baby, give me a baby, give me a baby, give me a baby. And then, you remember what the priest did? He came to her and said, what are you doing here? Get away from, put your wine away. How dare you come into this place drunk? Ouch. I mean, put yourself in the place of a woman who is desperate to have a child. Crying out to God. And then the priest coming up and saying, get out of here, you wino. What, I mean, what are you doing in here? Oh, the opportunity for offense. <laughs> but I promise you, God allows an opportunity for great offense when he wants to bring a great blessing. Because Hannah not only has a child, she has a child that shapes the entire nation of Israel through the prophet Samuel. In a time when the word of the Lord was rare and, and the priest and his sons were immoral, God sends a son because one woman refused to get offended and said, no, I'm just crying out to God for a request. And do you know what the priest says? Oh, well then, may your request be granted. <laughs> God used an immoral, rude priest to bring to pass this woman's request. And for some of you, you're, you're facing an opportunity for great offense. And you think God is nowhere around. He's not present. And the offense might not be people. It might be circumstances. It might be toward God. But I promise you, if you would just treasure the word of the Lord in your heart and just respond with what you know is true from this book, God can turn that thing to not only bless you, but to bless people around you in ways that you can't even imagine or dream. That's the story of Christmas. I want to invite you to stand with me as we get ready to close. We started out by talking about the search for the perfect Christmas. And I want to tell you that the perfect Christmas doesn't really exist, but here's what I know. He is the perfect Christmas. He is the perfect Christmas. And so, Father, today we are grateful for what we know is true. We know that you loved us when we were very unworthy. When we were your enemies. When we weren't going to seek you or wanting to seek you. And when we had absolutely no hope of ever being made right in front of you. And you loved us in that moment and demonstrated it by sending your son to this earth. And Jesus, you willingly came. And you laid aside the rights and the privileges that you had as God. And you became obedient. You actually became obedient to a mom and a dad that you took part in creating. You humbled yourself in such an amazing way. And then you humbled yourself even further and you died a criminal's death. You were humiliated. You were beaten for us so that we could be made right with the Father. Thank you for what you've done. 
Father, my prayer for everyone in this room is that today we would be able to take your words, treasure them in our hearts, pondering them often, knowing that you've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Help us to put down deep roots into the soil of your love. You are love and you are good. And help us to face every adversity in our lives, God, with the knowledge that you are good and that we live by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And to continue to treasure and ponder the words that you've spoken to us. Help us not to wait for the perfect circumstance. Help us not to wait for our healing to come before we become your vessels. Help us not to wait till our character's completely formed before we take that step of faith. Help us to be just obedient to respond to you. Help us to cooperate with your Holy Spirit so that you're not just shaping the circumstances around our lives, you're shaping our character. You're shaping our endurance. You're making us mature and complete. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come to the front. And in just a moment, I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing over you today. And I'm going to allow you be, to be dismissed. And, uh, and I'm going to ask that as you dismiss today, that you just uh, do it quietly. And if you want to visit with one another, and uh, we encourage you to do that, uh, please do that in the foyer area. But I want to give an opportunity today because there, I know there are some of you in this room that are in the midst of some, some difficult circumstances. And maybe the words that I've shared today are just ringing in your ear. And maybe there's like a new hope that's springing up within you. Or maybe there's no hope. Maybe you hear the word and you're like, I just, I want to hope, but I just, I can't. And maybe you need someone to agree with you today. And we want to make ourselves available to you at the end of this service to pray with you. And so even as I'm praying, if you want to come and you want to find one of the members of the prayer team, they'd love the opportunity to just agree with you and to help you seal those words in your heart today. Because here's what I know to be true. Every word of the Lord that you receive and you bring close to you today is going to be tested. It's going to be tested. But you don't have to be afraid of that. <laughs> when Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so, Father, today, especially for those that find themselves in some type of problem, some type of pain, some type of circumstance that seems insurmountable in this moment, we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use us today to breathe hope into their hearts. Renew hope. May they overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit today. So Father, over this body today, I pray your blessing. I ask that you would bless them and keep them, that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to them. God, that you'd give them peace. Lift up your countenance upon them. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want prayer,